Blog Talk Radio. Here, 
but I don't know to see if uh, Mr. Anderson has checked in. I don't know what uh, area code he'd be calling from because, there's, quite frankly, there's so many out there. But uh, let me say, uh, okay, I have a list of uh, area codes that you told me that could be in that area. Let's uh-huh. see if I can match it here. Uh, no, let's see. Uh, okay, I think I know which area code it is. Okay, uh, uh, I believe this is Michael Jackson's uh, ex-bodyguard, Mr. Anderson. Uh, good evening, Mr. Anderson, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. Is that you? Good evening. Yes, it's Kerry Anderson. Thanks for having me. Hello, uh, Dana and Gary and uh, Greg. Hey, Gary. Hi, Kerry. Just, uh, I just wanted to uh, say, Kerry, uh, you know, I heard you on the other show, and uh, you're you're a very kind person from what I could take, and uh, it's a privilege to have uh, another person from Michael Jackson's life. If the, uh, any audience are new, I've had uh, the famous Tom Mesero on this hotline uh, six times. I've had uh, I've had Joe Vogel. I've had Charlie Thompson. I've had uh, there's a lot of just can't think of it right now. Uh, but uh, the more people that were uh, positive people to MJ uh, like yourself uh, is it, a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Now, we're here to talk about the film. And uh, first of all, if you are a Michael Jackson fan, there's no thinking about it. You have to get the film. There are such scenes out there. You get to see Jane Velez without makeup, and that that in itself (laughs) is worth it right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But seriously, uh, you get to see, like I was telling Dana earlier, uh, a special moment where you'll never get to see. Uh, I believe the girl had cancer and only uh, days at that point to live, and uh, you cut a beautiful shot of uh, Michael giving her some time and hugging her, right? Oh, yeah, that was um, Nayori Torrigan. Um, That was really a highlight in our film because that showed me the human side of Michael Jackson. Um, How that happened was, you know, we were basically the only cameras there um, at Neverland because a lot of the fans would, you know, shoot the cameras away and as we kept shooting you know we we got you know we got to know the fans they got to know us so we were filming you know we were able to film and this day um michael came back and i guess he got word through you know i don't know through the fans or through somebody that this girl had been there waiting to see him and that she was ill and you know this guy just did this out of the goodness of his heart. There were wasn't publicity. There were no cameras there. You know, we were not affiliated in filming with Michael Jackson at all. So it wasn't for us. It was the fact that this man wanted to do this, and he was going through 
the most difficult time of his life <laughs> during this yes. horrendous trial and just felt, you know, he was touched by this girl and he wanted to show how much he cared about her and it was it was amazing. It was truly, truly amazing. The, the car stopped and we had no idea what was going on and the girl was just there and they, you know, he kind of waved her to, to go into the car and she was just, I mean, that you can, that was, that was the highlight of her life. And I know that she passed away shortly after that. So yeah, it was very, very touching because like I said, it, it showed the human side of Michael Jackson. But no question. I do want to get back to the film, but I just want to ask Carrie some things. Carrie, when did sure. you start working with uh, MJ? Uh, 2003. I think it was like uh, January of 2003. January 2003, around the time uh, Bashir was uh, coming out with that uh, documentary. That was a little that after that. that. Yeah, it was a little after that. Ooh, after a little that. bit after that. Oh, okay. And uh, when you were just chilling with Michael, uh, how was he? What kind of guy would you say he was? You know, oh, we he hear was some... Okay. He was very kind, uh, very generous, very, uh, uh, he was much a, a big, big a practical joker. Uh, he was very kind, yeah. very generous, though. Uh, I, I couldn't believe, I had worked for other celebrities that were uh, pretty big celebrities, and uh, some of them didn't have that kind of, uh, I don't know, human side to them. Uh, they didn't interact with the fans. Much. And uh, I don't know. He's a very kind, generous person. Wow. Uh, okay. So that's January. Um, were you around him when he got word that uh, he you know was going to be charged? It's, it's going to be January of 2004 is when I started. Not January. Oh, okay. Yeah, January. Okay. 2004. So, so he already been. Uh, he already been charged with that uh, that false right. accusation of uh, right. that. Okay, um, so uh, during the trial there uh, was I, you know, he looked very composed in the beginning, and uh, you know, I've heard at towards the end, like any normal human would be, towards the end he was rattling. Uh, break, you know, I would be too, my life being played out in front of anybody, people. Uh, how much stress do you think that took off of uh, Michael Jackson's life? Oh, I would say a tremendous amount of stress. I would definitely say that that trial had a significant uh, thing to do with taking years off of his life. Uh, I, I firmly believe that. Um, I think uh, just the preparation and the team that uh, his brother Randy put around him and Thomas Casrow, Susan Hugh, and, and their team, and then putting in uh, our security team, we gave him a comfort level that everything was ultimately going to be all right because he had very qualified people uh, doing what they, they did. Uh, but, you know, when the thing actually started, the trial actually started, and we saw the, what I would say, the uh, unfair treatment and injustice all around. I made a statement mm -hmm. on the last uh, show I was on that 
I had never, I was always proud to be involved in law enforcement. I was working for the Los Angeles Police Department for like 20 years. And uh, wow. when I got into this trial, I had never, <laughs> never seen uh, law enforcement at the highest levels, including the the search and seizures, the courts, and, and everybody that was like, oh, my God, they're violating all kinds of laws and rights and search and seizure laws and uh, evidence laws and everything. And it's like it was just going to be that way. And yes. uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a tough time for him. And most of the media uh, thought he was going to be convicted, 80%, they would say. I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Most of the media that are uh, that uh, data proved to be uh, a bunch of quacks uh, thought he was going to be convicted. People like Diane Diamond, you know, they they all thought he was going to be convicted, and they didn't get him on nothing with the yeah, assist well, of Todd Mesereau. Yeah, well, absolutely, and. Um, I don't know, anybody in their right mind, and I know those people are probably intelligent people. Uh, you know, they're in the media and they, uh, they have a job to do, they have a certain skill set. But anybody who was actually in that court, such as Diane Diamond and uh, Jane Velez Mitchell and some of those uh, people that were very unfair, uh, they knew, they had to have known that they were nowhere near get a conviction based on what was presented in court. Now, what they reported, right. what they reported outside of the court was totally not what was going on inside the court. And right. I just couldn't believe, you know. Tom Mesero told me they would take direct uh, examination, not even hear the course examination, and report it to the media as, as so, without even oh giving uh, Tom Mesero his chance to uh, cross examination uh, any of the witnesses. Uh, like Diane Diamond wouldn't even listen to the cross, which is the very most important part uh, to find out what uh, a witness is saying and what's going on with them. But I, I appreciate uh, that, and we'll get back to you. Uh, I do want to go to, uh, I believe we have the fan uh, uh, data. Is that joining yeah. us as well? Can you uh, tell um, us about him? Or maybe he could. Or Gregory, just, you know. Son? We have Gregory on the line. Hey, Gregory. Hi, how you doing? Okay, I'm Gregory, here. you are in the documentary. You Are you from California, or did you fly there? How did, how did that work? No, I'm not, actually. I came from uh, Washington State. The fans were all, um, you know, uh, organizing through the Internet, and um, people came from all over the world. And uh, I came from Washington State, and we stayed for the whole trial from day one to vindication day. And, um, you know, there were some fans that had no place to stay, and some fans were helping other fans. And, you know, everybody was doing their part to make sure everybody um, was okay because we were all there for the same reason, to fight for Michael Jackson. And um, at one point, uh, we realized that the media was not in our favor, or Michael's favor, and they were reporting half-truths. And when I was in, in the courtroom, you know, we would see uh, reporters get up after the prosecution would say what they would have to say, and they would report, you know, that one side of the story, like you guys were just mentioning. You know, they would never really report what was happening 
with the cross-examination on Mesro and any of that, which was blowing everybody's testimony out of the water. But they weren't reporting that. So there became like this war between the fans and the media. And uh, it was like that every day for months. And uh, Dana, BJ, uh, got into it with Diane Diamond, and uh, she actually had a warrant. Uh, Why don't you tell us about that story? It was quite interesting. Well, there wasn't a warrant. It was a restraining order. Restraining order. BJ was doing what we were all doing, and we were protesting. And, you know, we had our little area where we were allowed to protest and and, and do what we came there to do. And um, BJ wasn't doing anything illegal or out of that realm and um but he was singled out by Diane Diamond um and which brought the attention to that and then you know once again it was putting the, the fans in this this eccentric weird light you know and um it was it was always something like that they they were always doing something to the fans you know dance moonwalk grab your crotch you know and you'd see it later on a you know the tonight show or Jimmy Kimmel or Conan O'Brien and it would just be a a, a complete joke I think that, I I think in my opinion, Diane Diamond put that restraining order for publicity for herself and um, to create, you know, another distraction, another story, you know, um, rather than reporting what was going on in the courtroom because that wasn't the story that she was selling. So as, you know, the testimony and court went on and as you were in the courtroom and as you saw Thomas Mesereau and you listened to all the testimony, you realized, wow, there's not a case here. So I, you know, in my own opinion, I felt like she brought that to bring publicity to herself and distract what was going on, you know, because it was, you know, close to the trial ending that she, you know, got a restraining order. And, there was a fence that they put up around the whole courthouse and there was no way anybody was going to get in there or near her or anybody and they had guards there all the time so this kid BJ couldn't get near her so it was really really ridiculous and he had to go to court you know he had to get an attorney so it was i mean you know that that's that was crazy to me you know she well, the media was becoming they were bothered by what we were saying they knew that what they were reporting wasn't what was happening and they and, you know and here we are we're screaming the truth we're chanting the truth and they were bothered by that and and we we were scolding them for for reporting the wrong stories and we were calling them out by name so they were threatened even though they knew we couldn't do anything about it but it was just their way to like it was like a power thing oh look i can do this to you you're just you're just a right. fan in, in, behind the fence. You know what I mean? It was just a way of slapping us in the face. I agree with you. Uh, I agree. He was besides DJ was the loudest of all the fans. He was he was probably I don't know how to describe. Oh, he was. He, he was he was very he was probably intimidating to some degree to Diane Diamond, but that was his job, I guess. That was his job. <laughs> Well, uh, Diane did put a lot of nonsense out there. Uh, she, in my opinion, spent her whole life on Michael Jackson. You know, the, the minute uh, uh, she got, the, she was the only person to be a part of the raid. You know, Michael Jackson sued her in the, in the 90s. Uh, 
uh, Tom Stanton helped uh, get her out of it, uh, from what I was told. And uh, right. she was just a piece of work. You know, there's other child molested cases uh, that she could have covered, uh, like Jerry Sandusky. She, she basically, I know she did it for a little, but to me, she, it, from afar, she had an obsession with Michael Jackson yeah. going down. I don't know yeah. what was with her. And that book, uh, you know, I'm not even going to mention more much, much about it, is a travesty. Uh, do not read that book by any stress. I think the network supported it. Her stories about Michael Jackson, um, you know, whether they were substantiated or not, were popular at the time, you know. And so that's why Diamond, I think, got the publicity that she did in her stories. Yeah, I think it, it was an obsession. It was an obsession, and she was a mud thrower. Where that obsession came from, I don't know, but it seemed that everybody jumped on that bandwagon, you know what I mean, during the trial. Well, her obsession, became... her obsession def- definitely does not come from, from, from a child or a victim's point of view or anything like that. She was out for Michael Jackson. She wasn't out for advocacy for for children or anything like that. She, she was she was out for Michael Jackson. She wanted to defame him, and she wanted to be the king of that throne that did that to him. She got exactly. off on, on doing that to him. No, that I agree too. I I definitely agree. And it it it's you know I I had said um, during another radio show. You know I was talking about all. You know I want to clarify something. It's not all media because not right. all media is bad, and not all media does this. Unfortunately, we've gotten into, we, journalism and what we read has become tabloid journalism. So those reporters, you know, a lot of reporters have shifted to tabloid journalism. And there's that, because the money's in that. And that's what they feel is the focus of the American public, you know. And I have to say there were a handful of journalists up there that were trying to report, you know, what was going on in the court. And, it, you know, one person was from Iowa. I mean, where they were from was so, you know, tiny little towns, but they were trying to get the truth out there, you know. And what about I've been, that you know, Lord Harris when he did that uh, tape reenactment of uh, as if Michael Jackson was already guilty and he tried to uh, he tried to do commentary uh uh, well, the jury didn't buy it, blah, 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 and uh, the fans did not let him get away with that. No, and, you know, I wanted to say this, and I didn't bring this up on the last show, and I know this to be a fact, and I can prove it. If anybody asks me to prove this, I can definitely back it up with um, information and support. There were two times, that one time with Ed Harris, that I know he was trying to incite the fans purposely. And then there was a time in front of the courthouse where they, it was very, very crowded, very crowded. And I had been in the courtroom three days before, and there was a gentleman seated two seats away from me. And uh, a journalist was sitting next to me. Now, this is in the public viewing. And I, we had taken a break, and I heard them talking. And she was talking to him. He was uh, uh, 
an LA an ex LAPD, and mm. he was in 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 the public viewing. Now I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay. Well, like three or four days later, he was standing guard over KFI radio show in LA talk show hosts, two oh talk God, show hosts right. that came to the courthouse where it was packed with fans and the general public and people were screaming and yelling. It was a very hot environment. These guys, this guy came as a guard watching over these two radio show hosts as they handed out mushrooms and a sketch attached to it that was supposed to be the sketch that a police artist drew of Michael Jackson's genitalia that was in the first um, allegations. And wow. them out like they were candy. Here, have one of like these. Oh, candy, here you go. But, oh, here you go. Have one of these. They wanted to start, they wanted to incite a riot. And now, they weren't journalists. No, no, they weren't, but they were radio show hosts. They were not journalists, but my... My question is, why are XLAPD that worked on that case guarding them? And where did they get such a sketch? You know, it was a very, you know, where did it come from? It was very, very odd. Okay? And I, I, saw, I saw the guy with my yeah, own, we, yeah, we, and I researched it. And I, I have all the stuff I researched, um, as we were editing the film. Wow. So, wow. You know, and, and that more is... Than likely, more than I, likely, the sketch was probably, uh, uh, you know, leaked from somebody within the department. I, yeah. Well, yeah. why was that guy, you know, it, it was, that was unbelievable. And we put that in our film. It was so foul. It was, it was, it was so below the belt. It was just a dirty, nasty, nasty, vile joke. And, and they were, and they were making fun of, uh, of this situation and, and handing them out like like someone like they were handing out business cards or candy. It was yeah, disgusting. The guy and, very and they they knew they knew what they were going to do. They wanted to incite some type of violence or trouble. But once again, the fans never ever uh, did anything illegal. We never hurt nobody, but we took a lot of abuse on our end. But we never did anything, and they and they and they wanted us to go off. They were waiting with their cameras ready and rolling. Yeah, and they Dana, never gave it to him. Um, Dana, why don't you tell the fans how they could get this great film? Um, it is on Amazon.com. The Trials of Michael Jackson. It also, okay. you know, it's sad because it aired on it, it aired on the documentary channel a few years back for about a year, and it aired on Netflix for about a year and a half. You know, and. It's unfortunate we didn't get the publicity that, you know, the film needed or deserved. You know, now now we are through uh, a fan. Her name was Sarah. She kind of is the leader of, of, you know, putting this together on social media. And, you, you know, I want to thank you for having taking the time to watch it, having us on, you know, your show. Oh, because yeah. this is what, this is this what is it means. Uh, you know? uh, this is what a Michael Jackson fan needs to see. If you're a real Michael Jackson fan, you need to see this film twice, at least. You know, it's a, it's a great... You, you see so much stuff, you're like mind-boggled, because uh, you don't realize how different 
what was going on in the courtroom to compare it to what was being reported outside. It was just horrific. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, I, you know, it's not only for the Michael Jackson fans. I think it's for, it's for everybody to take a look at because, you know, you see these uh, reporters, these, you know, Diane Diamonds and uh, a lot of Ed Harris, you see Roger Freeman's, you see them raw. You, you see, this is one yes. example of 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 what they do. Michael ja- this trial was the catalyst. This is one this is just one example of what they do and the tactics about how they go about and get their information for the shows that are on that they air, you know, like 24 hours a day, you know? And how bad was Nancy Grace during the trial if you guys remember uh, you played a, a great segment. Well, I wouldn't say great. Great finding that segment of the uh, spinning the wheel, and to, to her it was just a show. You know, the man's life is at jeopardy. The guy has three kids, and she's spinning a wheel and, and playing with a glove with a child molestation case. Exactly, and but you know what? Like I said, it's it was it's not only him. I mean, the, these shows go on and on and on about everybody, you know, and like it, that, it, that's what got us. It was, it was a circus. I mean, PETA had a girl in a, a lettuce bikini handing out veggie burgers, you know, and I, I love, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess they thought, you know, all, you know, all the people there, but I mean, that just shows you everybody took the opportunity to capitalize on this, you know, and everybody forgot, you know, what this was. It's a man's life. It's people's life, you know, that it, that that's on the line here. You know what I mean? It it wasn't a concert. So no question. I, and uh, let's talk about the uh, case. And uh, I want to go back to the bodyguard. You sure they uh, count there? Uh, they put, the, the, the prosecution said that uh, Michael Jackson uh, molested Gavin, and not during and not before, but after the Barton Bashir documentary. While the whole world is watching Michael Jackson with a with a microscope, uh, that's when he's going to decide to become a criminal and uh, and and molest him. Uh, bodyguard, uh, Mr. Anderson, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I don't really uh, know a lot about that. All I know is that uh, things just seem very unfair to me. Uh, I remember, you know, one of the uh, very first moments when we walked into court on the first day, um, I walked Michael up to the council table, and uh, obviously he was there with Tom Mesereau, and the judge, Michael had on some shades, and they weren't very dark shades, but the judge ordered him, he said, take those shades off, and Michael took them off, but Michael said, well, I need some glasses because my eyes are irritated or something like that, and the judge basically said, no, I want to see your eyes, and I just thought that was kind of weird, and then at, at the time, Michael took my, my uh, glasses and I don't know how that really worked out because they, they were prescribed for me, but Michael wore them 
almost throughout the entire trial. But to me, for a judge, Judge Melville, to, to have that kind of disposition to a person in the court of law that is mm-hmm. supposed to be proven guilty, that kind of set the tone for me. It's like, what kind of court is this? And then, like I say, later on when I saw the evidence that was presented, it was unbelievable on how the uh, DA and, and all of the law enforcement people violated this man's Fourth Amendment rights. They violated everything. They had private detectives that they hired that actually burglarized places. To uh, it was, I couldn't believe it. You know, and all of Unheard that of. is how the prosecution based that they had some kind of uh, case, and it was absolutely. Uh, a travesty of justice. I, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle from then on. And then, I, like I said, every day, some of the the evidence that was allowed to be presented, the way in which they gathered the evidence, was definitely violation of this man's rights. And like I say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the team um, that was surrounded, that Michael surrounded himself with, uh, and uh, again, I, I reiterate how strongly uh, the fans uh, played an integral role in Michael uh, surviving this thing. Because I'm telling you, that, that this whole thing took years off of this man's life. I, I honestly believe that. I, mean, I rode to and from yeah. uh, court, and he was terrible. This, I mean, several times he was literally throwing up uh, on the way to court. And then I remember one time we were, he was getting sick, and so I told him, hey, this guy's sick, we're not going to be here. And the judge like, oh, no, you've got to be here. It's like, how can you tell somebody not to be sick? What do you want me to bring, a, a pack of vomit in the court to prove that this man is sick? And then yeah, financially, um, we, financially, we go to, one time we did go to uh, the hospital because he was so sick. We go in a room, and the hospital people were so surprised. They were actually working on some other patient, and this ultimately became a, a lawsuit. Uh, apparently, they just dropped whatever they were doing with that other patient. That uh, when we walked in, and we didn't tell them to do that. We told them what Michael's signs and symptoms were, and he was sick. We had to basically take him into the hospital, and he was in need of care. And, um, you know, I guess the nurses just... Uh, they weren't expecting a Michael Jackson to walk in the room, and I, I think they kind of, you know, let the other patient that was also in need of care go by the wayside, and they ultimately, you know, passed. But I, I don't know. It was it was terrible. I mean, every, everything we did was so scrutinized, and uh, I just felt sorry for the man. I, I You know, I, it really showed me some intestinal fortitude and strength uh, in Michael yes. Jackson to be able to deal with all of this stuff. You know, and that was just one facet of it, you know, um, but it was terrible. The whole the whole experience really was. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I do watch trials, and I followed the Jody Evans trial. The girl had a migraine headache, and they closed court for the day. A migraine headache. And what Michael had, you know, sounds to be much, you know, worse than that. And uh, the judge uh, was going to yank his bail and throw him in jail, uh, according to Tom. And Tom said, get here ASAP. And uh, that's why he came, you know, he didn't have a chance to get dressed. Oh, that, you know was that? Yeah. that was the pajama day. And that, that was another. George Melville, uh 
basically it was it was interesting how that happened because I actually talked to him that morning. I told him what happened that night. I had been in the hospital with Michael just about I think eight o'clock that morning because he slipped down and, and hurt his back real bad. And uh, when we went to the hospital, I knew uh, we were getting close to having to leave the hospital, go back to Neverland, get dressed, and then go to court. Well, he wasn't physically capable of doing that. And, you know, I called uh, Tom Mesero and, and Judge Melville put he got me on the phone, and he ordered me. He told me, you got basically 45 minutes to be here in court. Otherwise, I'm going to remand him to custody, and I'm going to uh, take his bail that he, he's going to, his bail is going to be forfeited, and he's going to be in jail the remainder of this trial. So that's why he came to court dressed like he was. And it would have been a lot worse than that had we not found some kind of jacket. That jacket that he had on was actually not his. It was somebody else's. But, I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I couldn't believe the uh, unfairness and the uh, just impartiality. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was terrible, you know. Well, you know, I, I, wanna, I think that... I think that Santa Maria used this trial um, and everybody involved, the judge, Tom Snedded, everybody used this as a moneymaker, too, for oh, Santa Barbara. No question. no question. You know, it was, it was, it was like, what was it, like over $2 million in, in press badges. You know, this was, they're all looking at this as a moneymaker. They didn't look oh, yeah. at the hotel made money. Everybody yeah. made money in that area, in that little area, little town that's not known, you know, for uh, acquitting many people at the high rate of, uh, you know, uh, make uh, 90% people that are charged there are found guilty. And as I said yeah. earlier, they didn't get them on nothing. But the other stupid charge that I wanted to bring up was this idea that he was holding Gavin, the mother, and the other family uh, members uh, against their will. And, Mr. Anderson, maybe you could speak about the inner outs of Neverland. Now, I know she got her, her nails done and massages and this and that. If this lady, well, from could she have got Escape Neverland? If she really wanted to, I mean, we already know there was testimony that she she was away from Neverland and got her nails done, and if she in fear of her quote life, then she could have called the police, which she never did. So I never understood the conspiracy charge. Well, all of that was fabricated. I mean, it was they were just uh, bringing things in, and, and I think you know ultimately you know, those people are intelligent people. I would say. You know, lawyers and judges, they go to law school and all that, so they have some sense of some kind of scholastic background where they're supposed to be intelligent. They knew that they didn't have a case. I think one of the things that they wanted to do in this trial, and the media as well, is just publicly humiliate Michael Jackson. They knew that this case wasn't going anywhere. I mean, the no. way Kate, they, they knew it. You know, um, I don't know. I just think that they wanted to public, publicly humiliate this man even though they knew that they were not going to get a conviction. All right, let's take a phone call. Let's go to area code 707. 
Uh, please state your name and where you're calling from. It's your turn, 707. Seven oh seven, are you there? Okay, let's go to private number. It's your turn. Please tell me where you're calling from and your name. Okay, nobody feels like talking today. Let's try again. Another private number. Private number, where you're calling from and your name. <laughs> Okay. No question. Hello? Okay. Uh-huh. If you wish to talk, go right ahead. Uh, so I was talking about that charge, and I wanted to get uh, uh, Richie's, uh, 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 what he felt about that charge. Who did you want? Uh... What's his, uh, the Washington uh, fan? Gregory. Gregory. Yes. What did you think of that bogus charge of Michael Jackson trapping uh, the Orvizios? It's completely bogus. And the reason why you say, you know, it doesn't make sense, the reason why it doesn't make sense is because it's a lie. There's nothing about (laughs) it that makes sense. Every every I mean, as far as they, you know, uh, one point that a lot of the fans were talking about is, like, they didn't know what time it was. One of the things in Neverland is a humongous clock. Everybody knew what right. time it was. I mean, everything that they said was a lie. They didn't even think about their lies and, and, and how they were going to back their stories up. And that's why, you know, they were blown out of the water. The truth always prevails, you know. And, and, and the thing about the truth is, you know, you don't, you, <laughs> it's going to find its way out. So, I mean, it was just a matter of time that Michael Jackson was going to be vindicated without a trial or with a trial. You know, the truth always found its way out, and Michael was a blessed person. So. Um, now, you know what? Mr. Anderson, you were there every day for testimony? Absolutely. I was there every day. Uh, I didn't miss one day at court, and uh, I picked him up every morning and put him to bed every morning, every night. Can you tell our listening audience how Janet Arvillia was on the witness stand? Oh, my God. She was terrible. <laughs> I mean, she was good for Michael because she was a liar. Uh, one, one of the statements that Greg made, and Dr. Martin Luther King said, truth crushed to earth will one day rise again. And that's basically what happened. This whole thing was a, a lie. It was illegal searches and seizures. There were burglaries. Uh, and they did all of this to put this scam case together against Michael Jackson. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they did it with one of the best attorneys in, that's on the planet, Tom Mesero. I mean, even if it yeah. was a true thing, Tom Mesero would be the guy to help you get off. But this whole thing was fabricated, and it was a lie. And like Greg said, truth will ultimately come out. I don't care how long it takes. It's going to ultimately rise again. That's right. You know, That's right. You know, Jordan, I wanted to say that I'm from Santa Barbara County. I, I've lived there for like 20 years. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, when I when I saw Janet Arvizo one day and I was in court and I was blown away by her as well, the jury could tell that she was a liar. And that jury was 
everybody on that jury, you could see that they wanted to convict. Like it was in their eyes, you know, and they couldn't because everything that they saw and they heard. And when this woman went on, it was unbelievable. She was something from a crazy reality show, you know, like you could, (laughs) I mean, you could see it in this woman. It was all about um, fame for her. It was all about fame for her. Her being on that stand was about her being on that stand and taking part of something really big, you know, you know, no matter. Oh, she, she climbed. She climbed the celebrity ladder. She she went from celebrity to celebrity till she got straight to the top of of the hill, which was Michael Jackson. You know, right. He he wasn't he wasn't the first celebrity that she targeted. No, Jay Leno. She would have get, uh, her son called Jay Leno. Yeah, George Constantly. Lopez. Yeah. Who? George Lopez. George Lopez. Yeah. Right. Chris Tucker too, as well. Chris Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then on and on and on. And, and, those, are, and those are just the people that that had enough um, backbone to stand That's up and say, this it. happened to me, too. We, there could have been others. She oh, changed yeah. her name to Jackson. So, I mean, at the end, you know, she, yeah. she, you know, I mean, but it, what what gets me, and it still gets me to this day, but, and I, I still don't understand how it went to trial on a taxpayer dollar. And I, that's why, you know, to us, the media story was the biggest story here. You know, it's like, I mean, I, I, I wonder, was it, was it just, okay, we're going to bring him to trial because we're going to make a fortune regardless. We're going to have so many media outlets here, it doesn't matter. We're going to bring in a million to $2 million for this county. Yeah. Right. You know, in all fairness to the media, though, uh, I think Dana mentioned everybody was it. I specifically remember a uh, very big news agency, Channel 7 Eyewitness News, uh, Leslie Miller, and uh, there was one uh, representing Katie Cork, uh, Balvany Lacarney from MSNBC. Those people, they reported what was right, but that never aired. You never saw anything like that. You know, it was only the Diane Diamond and the Jane Velez Mitchell and Nancy Grace. You know, and that's why I think this film is so important, man. Those people and the unethical treatment that they did to Michael Jackson, uh, they need to be held accountable. And, and I, I liken... Yes, they I do. Think, yes, I, they do. I, I they need to be held Absolutely. They need to be I held like accountable, it. and so does, the, so does the prosecution. Everybody needs to be held accountable here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I liken this film to uh, the Rodney King film. You know, what Rodney King film did to the Los Angeles Police Department in exposing what people had been saying all along, the same thing, uh, the trials of Michael Jackson exposes the media for what they did. And those are some very large media outlets that were involved in this. And, uh, you know, I, the, the, the trials of Michael Jackson is a smoking gun. These people need to be held accountable for their unethical treatment, you know. And, um, and no question. And the treatment, though, my point, the treatment just keeps going on and on and on and on. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, 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 it if you're going to, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to report a story as a factual story, you know, get the facts, you know, just report. But, you know, like Carrie said, there were news outlets that were reporting the truth, but they don't air. <laughs> 
You know, yeah. they don't air. You know, you, you've got to report the facts. Like, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be where the, the American people want to have an appetite for true journalism again. You know, like we, okay, you know, you can have a little bit of a, oh, Justin Bieber went out on a date or somebody went out on a date. But when we start to want only to hear about people's lives and their private lives and their, you know, we we surround them if somebody passes away or if they OD or if they go into prison, like that's headline news. That's the biggest news story around. We as, you know, we have to stop and and you know stop wanting that you know and we've got yeah, to exactly. stop at some point enough is enough enough is enough when 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 it comes down to someone's actually being hurt you know and taunted and or hunted Absolutely. down because of what you're reporting and what you're making people to believe i mean there were locals out there that were buying into these stories that the media was saying, and, and they hated Michael Jackson because oh, and they were of what they were the reporting. Fans. And they wanted to come down there, and there was many death threats on Michael Jackson's life. They don't report that. They don't report that Michael Jackson had to wear a bulletproof vest. You don't ever hear about that, that someone, uh, there was another death threat on Michael Jackson's life. No, they're too busy making fun of, oh, what his vest looked like today. Or, you know, he couldn't even show up to court without it being a joke. Wow. Terry Anderson makes makes a very, very good point. Let that resonate with the viewers and the listeners here when he says that this this video can be compared to the Rodney King footage. What you're seeing here is is what they don't want you to see. And it's that important because that means everything that you're watching on the news, all the stories that they're giving to you, that that it should be, you know, reexamined. You should really think about it because most likely it's not even the truth. You know, and when I was... Okay. I do, yes. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yes, I do want to play a clip I have, uh, courtesy of Loaded Joe 67. The late Gary Coleman was covering the trial, and he had a lot of positive things to say. Let's take a listen, and on the other side, we'll talk about it. Gary Coleman, he's the star of the 70s TV series, Different Strokes. He also starred in a run for governor of California, and he's now covering the Michael Jackson trial for all comedy radio. Gary, I want to ask you about this this concept of having a childhood stolen and how Macaulay Culkin and Michael Jackson share that. But first things first, let's talk about the news of the day. You were there. Talk about uh, talk about the atmosphere around the trial today as Macaulay Culkin went in to testify for his friend Michael Jackson. And I can certainly tell you, based on last week and this week, it's definitely appearing to me that this is a show trial. It's a revenge trial. Tom Snedden always said he was going to try and get Michael Jackson one way or another. And it was really proven to me when he didn't uh, redepose his witnesses on the stand when they didn't say what he wanted them to say to get Michael Jackson convicted. That really proved it to me. Talk about uh, about Macaulay Culkin having a special bond with Michael Jackson because they were, like you, they were both child stars. They both talked about having their childhood stolen. Do you think that Macaulay Culkin would be more likely to stick together with Michael Jackson, or you, uh, uh, others like you, because you all have shared that same experience. 
Oh, well, you know, in Hollywood, there's a group of people who actually do participate in that kind of hand-holding kind of atmosphere, a self-help, if you will. It's called a minor consideration. I don't know if Michael Jackson is into that kind of thing, but I certainly understand the kindred spirit aspect of it, except that's not something that I've ever experienced personally myself. From what we understand, you're out there uh, reporting for all comedy radio, is that correct? I try to poke fun at the fact that Michael Jackson is in court for something that now, obviously, he didn't do. So uh, I try to put a little lighter side on it, and believe me, child molestation allegations, proven or not, is not funny. But I, and I try to be very mindful of that. While you're on there for a comedy network, you don't think it's funny what's happening to Michael Jackson. You think he's been not at shut all. up. You think you think this is a show trial. So. I would guess that you think he's going to walk. Oh, I'm, I'm, unless, like you have just said uh, to Miss London, if something absolutely un bizarre, unknown, and devastatingly 180 degrees different happens, he's definitely going to walk. All of, these, all of these networks seem to focus in on child stars and take special joy at, at counting every little mistake that they've made, every sin of omission or commission that they've made. Do you think that may be a part of it with Michael Jackson? Do you think there's a target on Michael Jackson's back, and a lot of people like to see this guy get knocked around? Well, that's just psychology. Uh, uh, there, are, there are many, 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 many people who are jealous and envious uh, of people who have star power or money or, or fame, and they will look for and try to find any way possible to hurt those people. That's why I, 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 am, I, I am very chagrined that Michael is so reckless uh, with his choices of, of, of associations and friendships with children and adults because you have to always be mindful to shun the appearance of evil because if you don't, people are going to use your weakness against you and go after you. And obviously Michael Jackson deciding, making the choice time and again to invite young children over to his house, to sleep in the same bed with young boys, dating back with 10, 15, 20 years, that certainly plays the people's worst instincts uh, and, and worst suspicions about Michael Jackson, doesn't it? Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And I can certainly say now as a member of media, as a, a celebrity, and as a person just watching from afar, I now know that it is just sleeping. There's no sex involved of any kind. There's no heavy petting, no kissing, no nothing. It's just resting. And it took eight, nine, ten weeks of trial to actually bear that point out. So I am definitely a, a, a believer that nothing has ever happened and nothing ever will happen. But you definitely, as a celebrity, you always have to be mindful that people are going to try and knock you down and hurt you and do damage to your rep reputation any way they can. All right, Gary Coleman, great talking to you. Great to get a perspective. Wow. Uh, very great clip by uh, Gary Coleman. Gary, Dana. That was great. I mean, he said it so eloquently and so perfectly. I mean, it was wonderful what he said. Um, I wish I would have known that, actually, um, 
while we were filming. You know, I wish I would have had that because it's so true. It is so, so true. And, like, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just want to piggyback on what you said. That, that was very good. That's, that's amazing. I never heard any of that. I was there every day, and I was looking at all the channels as many as I could to gather information, but I never heard any of, any of that. But one, one thing you did say is that how uh, Michael had to shun the very appearance of, of doing something wrong, and he didn't do that. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, perfected love cast out fear. Michael wasn't afraid of anybody that would, bring harm to him or bring an allegation to him because he perfected love. He loved kids. And, you know, there's, you know, one of the guys that testified that was an idiot, some guard that worked at Neverland said he thought he saw Michael doing something. And my thing is, you idiot, if you work in security at Neverland, which all of the uh, umbrella of security, everything fell on me, and all my guys knew there's not going to be anything inappropriate being done while my watch is on, um, this guy got up on the stand and indicated that he thought he saw Michael doing something inappropriate. Then why didn't you do anything? I, I can't kill you. Right. If I ever saw Michael Jackson doing something inappropriate point. to a child, I would personally book him myself. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I'm going to affect an arrest immediately if I saw something like that happening. But these are the kind of... Uh, yeah, they yeah. want to come out years later. They want to come out years later when, when there's a story to be sold or there's money to be made off it. Nobody, uh, yeah, nobody called the police. Nobody did this. Nobody did that. Once again, because it was all a lie. That's why. Yeah, you're you know, saying yeah, all this you know, stuff. The reason why they never did anything because it never you. happened. Is Carrie still, yeah. with, us? Is, is Carrie still with us? Yeah, I think so. Carrie, are you still with us? Uh, I think we lost Carrie. I think we might have lost him. Um, but that's a great, great, great point. And, you know, I want to piggyback kind of that point and say that, you know, when Michael passed, it was a totally different tune in a lot of the media outlets. Yes. It was, they loved him. He was great. Let's do a huge memorial. He was misunderstood. He was misunderstood. He had vitiligo. He poor Michael, poor this, blah, 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 blah. And people, and I want to piggyback what Greg says, it's all about the box. I think we have uh, Mr. Anderson here. I think we do. Mr. Anderson, you still with us? Oh, I don't. I think we might have lost him. Okay, he came, was on for a second, then he dropped out. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. No, it's it's just that Greg brought up a good point. It, it is about the money that's to be made, and 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 what you know what what people can get out of it, and that's what was so sad about Michael Jackson. You know, when I went up first, went up there, I bought into it all. I thought, wow. There, I don't want to go near Michael Jackson. I'm a mother. I wouldn't want him near my children. I don't want any of this. And we're just going to do a film about the fans. And yeah. like Eric and I was a Michael Jackson fan in the beginning of the trial, and I said, oh, boy, you know, at this 
something doesn't smell right. You know, we sleep with kids. Until I saw the evidence and the lack of evidence, you know, I thought he was guilty too. But the well, more you- I saw these, this family and all these people that opportunists that, that wanted, was selling books and this and that, it was just a show trial, like uh, uh, Gary Coleman said. It was absurd to, to, it was sad, and it will never happen again, you know. Thank God, you know. The, the, reason, it, why it, people, it, the reason why people were coming to these conclusions that Michael was guilty is because of what and how the story was being portrayed to the world. If they were reporting the truth from day one, people would have had a, a, a chance to make up their own mind and, and, and see <laughs> what it really was. But they weren't given that opportunity. So everybody was turning on Michael Jackson, the world, the media, is because of the stories that they were, they were being fed, which was all lies. And it was all well, sensationalism. You know, I, and, and nothing well, was based on truth. No, and that's why I said, you know, when I, I'm, I'm, I, myself and my partner are a direct, in the film, are direct examples of when you find something out for yourself and you find out the truth for yourself. Instead of I listening think we to have the uh, security guard back here. Mr. Anderson, are you on? Yeah, I'm back on. I'm, I'm in a bad area for reception, but I'm, I'm back on now. Okay. And well, I wanted to finish, Jordan, with this. I wanted to say that it is, yeah. you know, when I went into court and I went in, every, we were in a lot of days. <laughs> the, we, the testimony and seeing Michael Jackson, actually seeing him, you know, on a daily basis and the people that he has around him, like Mr. Kerry Anderson, you know, I mean, you, you knew, I knew this was, you know, not true. I, I, I just knew it and felt it. It was not true in my heart, you know, and I, to this day, you know, everybody's like, well, you went into court. Yes, I went into court. And you had, to this- you had to go into court. You yeah, had to go in there. Anybody that was there, you had to go in there. If you had any question about what was going on in there because you, you, were, you were misguided by what the media was explaining to you, you went in there and you always came out with your mind just being blown because you were like, oh, my God, they are doing this to Michael yeah. Jackson. Michael Jackson didn't do this to them. And I it was do. horrifying. And Michael I was getting have, weaker and weaker by the moment. I do have another good video courtesy of Luna Joe 67. Uh, this is the day after the acquittal. I got to give Rita Cosby uh, credit. She has a one-on-one with Tom Sneddon and listen to how she shapes him. Uh, Ted, let's go. Prosecutor Tom Sneddon, yesterday, a day his office suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of Michael Jackson's jury. Well, tonight, He's talking about what happened to MSNBC's own Rita Cosby. Rita joins us now in Scarborough country. Rita. Joe, Tom Snedden was quite fiery during this interview. And for the first time, we hear how the boy who accused Michael Jackson of molestation reacted to the verdict. We at MSNBC, in order to protect the boy's privacy, have chosen to remove his name, so you may at times not hear the audio for a brief second during the interview. But what you will hear is a boisterous prosecutor who defends his case through and through. First, I asked the district attorney if he was personally devastated by the jury's decision. We felt that we did the best job that we could, and uh, that's it. I mean, 
that's my that's our philosophy. You know, you you do the best you can, and uh, we're not the judge and we're not the jury. We're the we're the people who put on the case, and we feel that we did a a, a very good job. Well, better than good job, an excellent job. Did you talk to the boy? Uh, what was his reaction? He was um, very discouraged. He was, uh, as you would expect, a young 15-year-old boy who everybody in the world now knows the jury didn't believe what he said, was very discouraged. He uh, couldn't understand it um, and was uh, down. And I talked to him at length and told him to get his chin up, that he was a very courageous young man and that he had done the right thing. And, you know, that's the whole thing about this is, you, you know, we did the right thing for the right reason. He did, too. And... It didn't go our way, but, you know, life goes on, and, and, and his life will go on, and it will be a very good life. He's a very courageous young man. What did he say to you specifically? He asked me a couple of times, you know, what, you know, what happened? Why didn't, they, why didn't they believe me? Why didn't, you know, and I, you know, I tried to explain to him that, uh, uh, I can't, I, that I couldn't. I couldn't tell him that, that, uh, uh, that in, in our, our opinion, we believed in him and continue to believe in him, and that... I told him that basically this is a chapter of your life that's closed. Close it up and get on and with your life. Uh, go back to school, play your sports, and uh, and uh, and be a, be a good person. Be somebody, and he will because that's he's that kind of person. Is there any doubt in your mind after talking to this boy uh, that Michael Jackson did not molest him? There never has been from the very first time I met him. So you believe that Michael Jackson molested this boy, even to this day? Uh, Rita, it's just simple. Uh, not only do I believe that, but all the people associated with this case who's had an opportunity to be with, to hear, to interact with, uh, th this is not Tom Snedden. Th this decision to go forward in this case was a decision that was made by a team of, of people, uh, a number of lawyers beyond myself. And there isn't a person involved in that decision that in any way, shape, or form has ever wavered in their belief that was was telling the truth. And you believe that to this day? Of course. The jury, though, another team, you know, eight women, four men, said no way. They said the evidence wasn't there. That's what they said, and I don't quarrel with juries. But you're asking me what my belief is. And my belief is, uh, has not wavered, and it will not waver ever in, in that regard. And that's why we have juries is it, <laughs> instead of having prosecutors make those decisions. Is it possible, though, sir, that this boy and this mother, uh, who have lied before in other cases like the J.C. Penney case, totally fooled you guys and they were lying again? No, and then that's a misrepresentation of what happened in J.C. Penney's. How so? Because even it sounds like she had exaggerated yeah. some things it, it, before. Well, all right. Exaggerating is not the same thing as being a liar. And uh, what a mother does and says is different from what a child says or does. And you were asking me specifically about... And I don't think that uh, if the mother had even done something wrong that you visit the sins of the mother on the son. If you have real belief in the integrity of what the, what the young child was telling you. So I think that, you know, this, this tendency to kind of... Uh, mesh these things together as if one's dependent on the other I think is a, probably a, a fallacy which a lot of people have bought into perhaps even the jury but like I said I'm not I'm not quibbling with the jury's verdict I'm just you're asking me my personal opinion and I'm I'm telling you that uh, there isn't a person associated with the prosecution of this case that that has ever wavered in their belief in
What do you say to people who say that you personally had a personal vendetta against Michael Jackson, that you were driven by it, that you spent all this taxpayer money, hundreds, you know, of search warrants, uh, tons of time, and it was a waste of taxpayers' money because the jury sort of laughed it off? Rita, first of all, there weren't a hundred search warrants in this case. Second of all, we didn't spend a ton of money. And third of all, that whole idea of a revenge is such nonsense. I see that you folks in the media that really believe that garbage, come down here and check my life. See what I've been doing the last 10 years. You know, I, I have a family. I have a large family. I have grandkids. I play sports. I work in the community. I volunteer my time. If you think I have given this one passing thought once that case ended in 1993 and 94, you're, you're, you're not in touch with reality. I mean, I had a chance to make a cost probably a million dollars writing a book on that case and turned it down. Will you ever I had write a book? To go on. Will you ever write a book on that? I had chances. I probably not. I mean, I'm just not. I'm probably not. I don't. But I mean, I had a chance back then to do that. I had a chance to go on TV. I had a chance to be interviewed. I never said one word after that press conference, ever in ten years. Now, so, I mean, I, I, and, go ahead. It's the truth. I mean, just look at it. It's the truth. I, I never, people would every time he would do something, they would call me for a con from a comment everywhere: Japan. Uh, France, England, New York, everywhere. The media would go crazy, and I didn't take any of those calls. I never made a comment about anything. I, I really, really, really was not involved in following Michael Jackson's life. When, when, when said he was not going to co cooperate with our investigation, that was over with, and I moved on. And that's that's the truth. I don't. I know that doesn't make it nice for you folks because it doesn't sell, but that's the truth. There is word tonight that Jackson and his team, I guess, uh, have indicated that they want you to immediately surrender these photos uh, that were taken, uh, that you have access to, of Michael Jackson's private parts, that they are fearful that they're going to be leaked out in the press somehow. Will you surrender those photos? Rita, that's just another instance where the defense team doesn't know what they're talking about. I don't have those photos. The sheriff's department doesn't have those photos. Nobody can get those photos without a court order. There are only three names on the signature to get in there, and you need signatures from two of them and a court, a judge's approval. So this is just typical of what's been going on in this case ever since it's happened. The people don't know what they're talking about, and it's not true. So what do you say to Michael Jackson's team who are saying, we're worried that Thompson's going to leak this out? It's just it's, it's the same old nonsense. I can't leak out what I can't get to, can I? So you can guarantee I don't that they have won't the negatives. They've been, what did I just tell you? They can't get, nobody can get access to them without a judge's approval. So they're not going anywhere with what you're saying. That's what I said, and that's what I've been saying, and that's the truth. Now, if you saw and Michael Jackson, where, if you saw Michael what? Jackson uh, on the street, you ran into him, or run into him again, <laughs> what would you say to him? <laughs> that's a highly unlikely scenario. But if it were to happen, what would you say to him if you could see him? It is, it, if you happen to run I, into him? I wouldn't say it. I'd, I'd probably nod and keep walking. Would you walk away? I, I said I'd probably nod and keep walking. I wouldn't go out of my way to avoid him. I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel any vindictiveness towards this man. In, in a lot of respects, he's a, he's a fairly pathetic person in, in the sense of what he's gone through. And uh, I don't have any vendetta against him. And, and I, it's just that simple. Are you sad, sir, as your term is ending, um, that this is no, I'm maybe the last, it. well, no, this may be the last, you know, huge case. You're certainly never going to have a case like this with a year and a half left in your term. Are you sad this is the way you're going out? 
No, I, 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 I just don't think you people understand who I am. And who I am is that, that, that I tell the, the, the kids that I've coached and I tell my kids that I've raised that if you do the best job that you can possibly do and you do it for the right reasons, whether you win or whether you lose is unimportant. The question is, can you walk off the field at the end of the game with your chin up and say, I gave it my all and I played fair and square and I did the right thing? If you've done that, you've got nothing to apologize for, nothing to put your head down about. And I'm proud of the, my office. I'm proud of the people who participated. I'm proud of the Sheriff's Department. And if anybody thinks that because we lost this case that I'm going to walk around in a sackcloth with my chin down around my knees, is crazy because I'm not. Mm. Our thanks to the district attorney. And by the way, then there's a well-known figure in Santa Barbara. Wow, what a fiery uh, uh, interview. Dana, what was your thought on that? He's a liar. Many things that he just said in, in, in that statement, there's many holes in his story there. Oh, he didn't spend lots of money. He didn't do this. He, he didn't personally uh, go after Michael. Those are lies. And this, this man is very disturbed. And, and I witnessed him in court every day. He'd get blood red. He'd start sweating. I mean, he, he didn't know what to do with himself. This, this man is pathetic. He's a liar. And, and, and I need it to be known. Uh, Mr. Anderson, what did you think of that interview? Oh, it was disgusting. He is a liar. It's one thing I, uh, when he was talking about little Gavin Arviso, he said everything, but he didn't say, you know, Gavin didn't tell the truth. He's a liar. He should have told that. Right. He should have told him. You're a liar. You know? And uh, right. it's just disgusting. You know? It is disgusting. Every time I think about Michael and his children and his family and what that trial did to his mom and his other brothers, it, I mean, you all have siblings, I, I would assume. And you right. can imagine when somebody tries to just destroy you like that, and you know that that is not their character, you know that that is not what they did, and you see it, it just destroying the person. And, you know, I don't have no love for Tom Smith or any of that prosecution. Because I believe just the opposite of what he was saying, and uh, I saw their demeanor and disposition. Uh, and to me, they were very vindictive. Uh, it, it, it was like a personal vendetta, if you ask me. Uh, I know that there were illegal searches and seizures, and uh, I don't know. It was just disgusting, and so was that. I, I had never heard that interview, but it kind of, uh, you know, just brought back some uh, ill feelings. And, uh, I do respect uh, the reporter for asking him all the tough questions. That's why I did want to play that particular interview, because if you hear him, he actually... Listen to this. The media had thrown set up for Tom Stanton and his whole team after that trial, because they thought uh, it was going uh, to go guilty. And th the reason why he did those, those, those interviews were all done right after the trial, when Michael Jackson was on his way home. Not Tom Sneddon was out doing these interviews in the, in the back of the courthouse. And um, they had all these media outlets. He, they were going to celebrate, and they, were gonna, they had all their interviews all laid out. And so that's where that came from. He, he did that in the back of the courthouse. Okay, uh, let's try a uh, caller. Area code 559, please state your name and where you're calling from. 559. Hi, I'm Yvonne Francis. I'm calling from Tulare, California, and you have to excuse me because I have the flu. Okay. What are your thoughts? Wow, hearing that man's voice, 
made my heart race. I mean, I just, how could he, how could he lie and say that this, this, he had it in for Michael Jackson, and what do you do when you try to defame the throne somebody? You take the very thing that they love and use it against them. And That's right. there, are, there are people still today because of what this man did to Michael Jackson. With with doubt that Tom Snetton wouldn't have done this out of spite, it, but he did. He did it out of spite. Michael right, Jackson would not hurt a child. And to top it off, if Michael Jackson did all the things that he was accused of doing, no amount of money would have gotten that man out of jail. None. It's true. It's true. Very yeah. true. You know, so, you know, it's so, interesting. Uh, go on. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. No, please. Well, I thought it was interesting that that officer was talking about how he could have sold his story and he could have. Tom Snyder. Uh, yeah. May, oh, that was. Tom yeah. Snyder. All right. Sorry. That wasn't. Uh, anyway, uh, what I think is interesting about that statement, I just wanted to say this. Um, was that how could he sell his story while he was trying to prosecute that case? And if he did have an intention, and he was such a noble, you know, uh, he was on some sort of a noble crusade, if you will, um, I think that I'm surprised that um, that would be overlooked. You know, the fact that, you know, selling your story doesn't, you know, w- the fact that you didn't sell your story doesn't give you integrity, I guess is what I'm saying. And um, <laughs> it just kind of, I don't know, I guess it irks me. Well, but he you know, did sell his story. He sold his story in the courtroom. <laughs> well, the nobody, he, he, he sold it, but nobody bought it. Nobody Pardon? bought it in the or Nobody bought it in the courtroom. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, but... I could say being from Santa Barbara and just knowing him as a as a district attorney, you know, his um, reputation, the time that he was a district attorney, even before we went up to film, he was a bit of a hothead. He was a bit of, you know, he, when, he, when he'd go after somebody, he'd go after them, you know, like there's a college town in Isla Vista, California, California. Uh, uh, the University His of Santa Barbara. Is Mad Dog Tom Snedden. They call him Mad Dog because he's crazy. Right. He, he would, he would. You know, there's a bunch of college kids up there, and he wanted. You know, he would arrest these college kids who are drunk in public, and the officers that they have in charge of protecting the kids up there are all officers that were dishonorably discharged for like violent offenses in Los Angeles. So he was constantly bringing, like, crazy charges up against drunken, like, 18-year-old kids. Like, he was known for that. And he was also known for talking about Michael Jackson at every event he went to, every sports team, every this. So I know for a fact that was, a, that was an outright lie. If you went to any charity thing or any sports thing, 
that he would do, he was always talking about Michael Jackson and how we got away with this and how he's not going to get it. You know, I mean, just that was an out and out right lie. And, you know, it's crazy because anybody with a right mind that anybody, anybody that would listen to Gavin Arviso and his mother could clearly see that these people lie. I mean, they just lie. You could just see it. You know, you know, we all know that there are people that we meet in life that you could tell that they lie. And these people were those people, you know. And they were um, known liars. They were known liars, yeah. So they're known liars. So how is it, as a district attorney, if you're going to bring a case like this, against somebody like you want to bring it with known liars or a district attorney that expects to prove a case based on evidence that he's going to find during trial not before trial just doesn't make any sense i mean it, it was it just didn't make any sense all of it and that's okay. why i always go back to it was brought the trial was brought for the money i i just i just say it and i will say it over and over again that's why this through Tom Snedded, through the prosecution, through Santa Barbara County, it was for money because there's no way that you could be a judge, a lawyer, a district attorney, and your experience in looking at people, you know, you're, you're trained to know when someone's lying. You're trained to trip them up. You're trained to do this. You're trained to do that. Me, I'm, I'm not trained, and I went in, and I knew from five minutes just watching them. Going back to what you, know? you said, Michael Jackson could never, with all the money in the world, buy his way out of a child molestation trial like that if it was if the allegations were true. It just wouldn't have happened. Just, you know, Let's was, go over just, to uh, 314. Please state your name and where you're calling from. You're on 314. Okay, let's try area code 509. Please state where you're calling from and your name. 509, it's your turn. Spokane, Washington. Okay, what's your question or thought? Uh, my name's Nancy, and uh, I want to thank Dana and Barry for showing us the, you know, the other side of this trial. And, okay. Uh, I appreciated it. Uh, I just want to say thank you to the. I just want to say thank you to the caller, Nancy from Five Hundred Nine. That's my mother. Hi, mom. Hi, honey. Hey, Nancy. <laughs> now, she, while, while we were out there fighting on the front lines, she was uh, recording all the footage when uh, uh, this was all happening. And when the trial was over, I went back home to Washington and I watched the footage, which I'd never seen any of the reporting, and I was, I was mortified. I. I was screaming at the TV, and I was, I was like, this is not what happened. That's, that's not true. And, and, and I just couldn't believe the things that I had seen because when we were down there, you know, I wasn't, we weren't, a lot of the fans, we weren't watching the media. You know, we, we had a complete media blackout. We weren't doing interviews, and we weren't watching their shows. So later on when I did see what they were reporting, I, I mean, I, I was just mortified. I could not believe it. But what did I tell to you, Gregory, before you left to go down there? I know it's all about the truth. The, the truth. Look for the truth, didn't I? Yes, and and we were talking about that earlier about you know, and that 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 is why Michael Jackson walked, is because he was innocent and it 
the truth is, is we'll set you free. what saved him. You know, yes, exactly. Amen. Okay, let's but try I another thank Dana. I want to thank Dana and Jerry, or Barry, sorry. I just thought it was awesome because I got to see, you know, what my son went through, and I just really appreciated it. Thank you. Thank well, you. Thank you so much. Thanks. thanks for the call. Absolutely. Love you, Mom. Okay, let's, let's try this private number. Uh, private number, you're on. Name and uh, where you're calling from. Okay, let's try another private number. Private number, where you're calling from, and your name, please. Hello, mate. This is Mark from California. Go ahead, I'm Mark. I'm so educated from uh, you, you people here. I, I've learned a lot. Uh, just only a couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to speak to Tom Mezzera. Uh Let me ask you people. Um, do you, this um, Pearl woman, do, do you guys know who she is? Are you aware of her? Do you, yes. Okay. What is the, the, the claim and the statement that she has said, that, that she has said, is it true? What are you talking about? Like what statement? She says that Michael Jackson is still alive. I do not believe that to be true. Can, can you guys put this to, to rest? The way you put this other stuff with, with this uh, pedophilia stuff, the way you guys have put that to rest, can you put this to rest finally? I do not believe Michael Jackson. Let's go to the bodyguard on that. Mr. Anderson, why don't you take that one? Oh, God, no. I, I don't believe Michael Jackson is alive. I believe if <clears throat> he was alive, I would definitely know about it. But I think Michael Jackson is in heaven. I firmly believe that. Why would a woman perpetuate that, that and says this thing with so much conviction? Uh, because she probably believes it herself, but, you know, it's kind of sad because Yeah, but she's passing it on to other people and stuff like that. She almost had me to, to, to believe it, uh, listening to these uh, tapes and, and, and stuff that's on the YouTube computers and stuff like that. I mean, I, I say that uh, people say that you can't believe everything you hear and see on these uh, computers. And I was starting to believe what she was saying until I talked to Tom Miserall. That's a very good point. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of people that thought Elvis and Tupac uh, are still alive. And, uh, uh, you know, she has a book. She's been on the show. And she does uh, stay in uh, MJ's still alive. Well, I, I don't. I, I don't believe that, and I, I think it's a little bit sad because, you know, he does have three children, and to perpetuate something like that is not fair to them. Right, but she's not here to defend herself, but I'll just well, say... Well, are you going to bring her back on the show again, Mr. King? Well, maybe we'll get it. I'd like to have a debate, you know, somebody who firmly disagrees with her and somebody that, you know, because, you know, she thinks that the children are in on it. So... That's her theory. And she says that, you know, how convenient the movie was. This is it. You know, uh, there's no name on the grave. There's, a, a, like, a lot of clues that she said. Now, I didn't read her book. I, I'm just going what she said here. Now, you know, she's a nice lady. Is she making money from this thing? I mean, uh, the person the like thing about Michael Jackson being alive. Can I say stuff? something about Michael Jackson being alive? Michael Jackson is alive in the sense that he will be alive forever. 
Michael Jackson's music will outlive all of us. And, and in that sense, Michael Jackson is alive. His, his spirit yeah. is alive. His music is alive. And there's so much more to learn about Michael Jackson. And there's so many songs that you need to go back and re-listen to. I'm talking about and, in the present Michael of Jackson. today. The present Michael of Jackson today. Is he like you and not, me at this unfortunately, point? Unfortunately, Michael Jackson is not, is not here on this planet. That's as what I want we, to know. We wanted, as, much, as much as we wanted him here, God needed him there much more. And, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to accept because we all love and we miss him so much. But, you know, in, the way, in order to keep Michael Jackson as alive is keep his music alive, keep his message alive, you know? You know, they uh, had that This Is It movie, and it would have been a shame because, as uh, as Mr. Anderson said, you know, he looked, you know, he might have died at the trial. But I'm glad, and I know they had problems with AUG, I understand all that, but I am glad the world got a chance to see that movie, and that was the last impression of Michael Jackson because even though he was just rehearsing, it was amazing rehearsals that people got to see. And, uh, you know, that's why a lot of people were left with a different impression. Not everybody, but some people. So I thought that was very important. Yeah, Michael Jackson was probably one of the greatest entertainers ever. You know, he was yeah, mag- he he was a magic presence. He was magical. You know, I mean that does not not come around. <laughs> you know, he was magic, and yeah, he was we, born. We, we, we will we will never see that again in our lifetime. And and what a blessing it was to live in the times of Michael Jackson. Uh, I'm so thankful that we got to be there for Michael and, and to fight for him and everything he believed in because what we were fighting for is something that's going to outlive us all. And, and that's why we were so convicted in, in what we were doing. And that's why this film is so important for people to see as well because it, it reveals so much, so much that you don't know and they don't want you to know. And, and, and that's why I stand behind this film because it's, it's one of those formats for people to see and believe what was happening amongst all the lies that you're being fed in the television, in the media, in the radio. You know, there yeah. was a fan in our film that was with Gregory, um, Emily, and she came all the way from England. Okay, she yeah, she was the beginning, she right? Was Ill. She was ill, you know, and she had surgery, and she got better, and she came all the way from England. You know, saved up her money, worked really hard came all the way from England, found a place to stay. Um, and she was a very, very um, intelligent young woman with all of her information that was backed up. And that's what really caught our attention as well. Emily was very intelligent. She's very eloquent in the way she spoke. And that's when Barry and I started to realize we started to look at the fans, you know, at first they were fans, you know. Okay, these are fans of Michael Jackson. We've got to look at them a certain way, with glasses on. But Emily, who introduced us to Greg, she opened our eyes because here was a young, intelligent woman with something really important and truthful to say. So right. she wasn't, it wasn't about Emily is a Michael Jackson fan. It was Emily was an intelligent young woman 
fighting for something that she believed in. And it was related to Michael Jackson, but it was a cause. And she brought the media to light. And that's when, you know, we started to, we looked, we opened up and we looked at the fans um, with this, you know, they're, they're, they wanted to share with us the information about the media. And, yeah, there were a lot of different fans. You know, everybody had their own message, and people wanted to support Michael in their own way. But there were, uh, there were a lot of fans with an intelligence level that was way beyond. And I was impressed because they came from all over the world, and they were engineers, some were lawyers, some were doctors. And their message was to support Michael Jackson, but to inform us that we were being reported to inaccurately. So, you know, it, I'll, they were the other side of the story. You see, it was obvious there was a, a majority side of the story, and that was that Michael Jackson was guilty before he had been proven guilty. But the fans were the voice on the other side, and it was a minority voice but we still had to listen to it. And the more we listened to it, the more it influenced us, the more it made sense. Well, that voice to me, you know, was, that was the true voice. And that story was the true story. In my, it, this is my personal feeling, you know, and that's, that's what I wanted to come through. And it was true because Michael Jackson was acquitted. Yes, so, on all 14. They tried to sneak in those extra four lesser included counts, and they didn't even get them on that. No, and they weren't going to, you know, and that's why everybody, that's why a lot of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to label it this way, the tabloid journalism. Um, what, you know, even, even some, you know, some big guys like CNN, that's why, like, later on in the trial, you started to see people setting up camp, you know, like bringing uh, impersonators. Networks were bringing impersonators. They were bringing carnival-like bouncers. They were bringing, bringing all people kinds like of Gary Coleman. I have to say about Gary Coleman, the footage you played, my mind was blown because I remember the fans literally running Gary Coleman off because he came down there and through Comedy Central and was trying to do interviews and nobody was having it. So when I heard that interview from him, I was like, whoa. I mean, so they were running everybody off. Yeah, and but they, you know, they knew it. You knew it. Once you got into the trial, like, you just knew it. You knew that he would be acquitted. And I, I just, I mean, I just, you know, it's sad. It's sad to this day that, you know, it took his death that the media, the, you know, did a, a 180. You know, they they took this man down, you know, and his family and his children. I mean, could you imagine what what it would be like as a father to shield mm. your children against this? Not to mention, you know, he's the biggest celebrity in the world, but to That's shield your kids man. against this and what was happening, like, did anybody ever think about, you know, think about that? I mean, could the toll... It took on those children, you know, and, yeah. And so uh, I think that Mr. Anderson would agree that Tom Standing throwing that particular charge has got to be probably one of the worst things you could be called. 
you know, worse than a murderer. Yep. Then uh, Jack, Michael Jackson's strength is is so amazing. To this day, his strength keeps me strong. You know, um, it's it's unbelievable to to hear and see what was happening on a daily basis and to watch him go through it personally. There's Michael Jackson. There he is in the flesh, going through this, having to hear this. You know. Oh, it took this its is what they wanted. You this is what they it. wanted. You know, they and when when Michael Jackson was alive, people media they wouldn't come near him with a stick. And then all of a sudden it's like a, a fad, it's like a thing, uh, now that Michael's alive, you know, they want to spread his message, they want to do that. But when, when Michael Jackson, the man who was living and breathing, th- it was a different story. They didn't treat him like that. They turned on him, no, his friends, right. everybody, his, his colleagues, everybody people, fans. Yep. Yeah. People uh, were phonies. Even Mesero pointed that out, uh, that they didn't want to cooperate in the trial. And then uh, they're singing his praises on uh, TV shows. So, of course, uh, yeah. It's so awful. We got, it's, you it's know, awful. Jordan, I wanted to say, we got a lot of flack, too, in doing our film, especially because we lived in Santa Barbara. And everybody was like, you got to be crazy. You know, I, I, I've had, I mean, I had people coming up to me when we'd be eating breakfast or somewhere and they'd be like, you know what, Dana, I know, uh, I know the first accuser's father and blah, 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 you know, and what are you doing? And we I, had, we, uh, the Kardashians, remember? We were talking to, uh, what's her name? One, uh, she was telling me. Uh, Chris Kardashian, but she, they Chris love Michael me, Jackson. Yeah, how she'd been to a charity event at the place and how she didn't believe anything that had gone on with trial. No, she was a supporter yeah, of Michael she Jackson. Was a total yeah, supporter of Michael Jackson. The you know, Kardashians. She was one of the only, you know, with um, Linda, and uh, they were some of the only people that actually believed us. The rest of the community that we lived in Santa Barbara thought we were crazy to take. I should explain this story. Side at all, or even show the side of the fans because. It, I should explain this story since we brought up uh, uh, Kardashian. Um, what happened was we had gone to a friend of mine's, a good friend of mine's, 40th birthday party, who happens to be very close with the Kardashians. And this was during uh, filming, when we were making the film. And uh, Chris Kardashian was there with um, uh, Bruce Jenner, and Barry was explaining the film to her and a friend of mine who was in another little short film that we did, and she was explaining how she was, loved Michael Jackson. They've been to Neverland. You know, she's a big supporter. She doesn't believe any of this. Um ever and she never did and she knows him personally and that was during the trial but yeah she was her and another friend of mine and a couple of other people were really the only people that were like they don't believe it everybody else is like you are committing professional suicide making this kind of a movie bringing this out there you should just be doing what everybody else is doing and just do a movie on the fans and blah 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 and I was like, my partner and I were like, no, we're showing the truth regardless. And we, you know, put up our own savings to do this film because we were determined to show the truth. And it's, it's, it's ironic, okay, he passed away. Where were, where were all his accusers? He was supposedly molested all these people. Where were they? 
Why didn't they comment? Why didn't they come out of the woodwork? Where were they? Because there was none. There wasn't any. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up. Because the average pedophile molests hundreds and hundreds of people. If Michael Jackson was a classic pedophile like Jerry Sandusky, the football coach who was charged, uh, he he found that to be over 100 victims. Uh, You would have heard not two or three that all wanted money. You would have heard thousands. There were thousands of people that would have made claims if he was true. It's a, a, a drug from what everything I read on the uh, child molestation. They cannot stop themselves. They have to go into a hospital. If, if MJ was truly a molester, you would have heard much more than a few kids with shady backgrounds. Right. I always said saying Michael Jackson molested kids is like saying Smokey the Bear is out lighting forest fires. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know what, you see, and Terry, you know, Terry brought up a good point. You know, Michael was saying what he felt. You know, and I think I said this in the last conversation. And you had, you know, you had to be around him. You had to be in court. You had to really submerge yourself in this to know, you know, what I found out. You know, like if you were to tell me this. I would be like, uh-huh, but you see, I had to find out for myself, you know, and I had to educate myself. You had to be around him. You had to be around the trial, and that's why the film is so important because you get a little bit of a glimpse into the deception that went on. It's just a little glimpse so that you can say, well, wow, I mean, if that was possible, then, you know, other things are possible. You know, it's it's. It's a glimpse into, you know, like the other gentleman said, I mean, you cannot believe what everything you read on the Internet or read in the papers or watch on tele, you know, listen to on the news. You just, you can't. And it's sad, but you can't. You have to really find out yourself. What I want to do now is uh, play a track from MGA, come back, talk a little more, and then we're going to, we'll wrap it up. So here is an unreleased track. It's called A Place With No Name. And then we'll come Yay, back on the other side. thank you for playing this. Okay. Great song. It's Michael's music. It's going to live forever.
song. God bless that Michael Jackson. Can I, can I explain a little bit of the history behind that song? That that song was originally taken from uh, an old rock and roll band from the 70s. They were, called themselves America, and they had a song called A, a, a Horse Without No Name. And, and right. you know, Michael loved that song, and uh, he got together with a really great songwriter who did a, a couple songs on the Invincible album, and they came up with this wonderful, wonderful journey of this new song. Michael had so many great songs. And, uh, you know, and he turned it into a Michael Jackson song, you know. Michael Jackson just doesn't do your average cover, you know. Look what he did to come together. No. I mean, look what, look what he did to a horse with no name. <laughs> That's hey, amazing. Yo, that was- I love it. Touching because you get to hear it. You get to hear, like, a, a new Michael song. And that's one of the things I'm going to miss the most is, you know, hearing his music and these new albums and new Michael Jackson videos, you know. That's what I said. We were so blessed to live in that time, to see and be a part of that. Yeah. It well, really is tragic. But uh, we can only hold on to what we have and just uh, appreciate we have that. And uh, it's tough, you know. Uh, even uh, here in 2013, uh, 2014, excuse me, uh, going on five years. So, oh, well. and, and it's and it's still fresh. It's been five years. Whose death has impacted you like that? I mean, I mean, unless they were like a family member. I mean, like we, we still mourn Michael Jackson. We still love you, Michael Jackson. Wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking I like about. I believe that Michael Jackson's in heaven, though. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that too. I believe that too, absolutely. And uh, if you do the things that Michael does, uh, that's where you wind up. And uh, the only thing that came out of this is that we hope he's not suffering from the onslaught of the media that attacked him on a daily basis, you know, that's the only thing that we could take some comfort in. Gregory was there while Michael was rehearsing for his concert, right, Gregory? You would be... Well, we got to, I got to see Michael Jackson in the last year of his life pretty much on a daily basis. When Once he moved into 
uh, Homely Hills off of Sunset. Um, we've seen him every day. And he, 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 you know, he, it blew my mind because, I have to be honest with you, after the trial, he left the Bahrain. I really thought I'd never see Michael Jackson again. And all of a sudden, he's, he's back in Hollywood. He's living off of Sunset, you know, and it was amazing. And he, he would uh, sign autographs every day. There wasn't a day he wouldn't stop or drive by a fan, you know, um, and it was like that every day, every day. And then he announced the This Is It tour, and of course we were excited, and he, it broke world records, and, you know, it was the fastest-selling concert in history, you know, and it was just like, it was, was like, it was all coming to full circle, and we were celebrating all of it, his life, his career, his vindication, everything. And that's what that, those, concert, those concerts were supposed to be, and it's just so sad and heartbreaking. The way that it yeah, you know, a lot of people say that Michael Jackson, you know, is worth more dead than alive, and you know, maybe some parts. Are I, true. I disagree. I, I, I take Michael Jackson alive any day. Exactly, but the fact is, as you just pointed out, they they sold those tickets in under a minute while he was alive and well. Right. So this this idea. Nobody that I don't to do, Nobody. Nope. Nobody. They'll yeah. never get the right producer. They'll never get the the right sound. You'll never be able to produce it the right way. You'll never be able to put on the, the, the correct show without Michael Jackson's touch. Everything that comes after that is just uh, it, it's it's commercial greed at its at its highest form, you know. And and it's sad, but it's beautiful, and it's bittersweet. But because you know we get to see him here and watch his legend live, but it's it's just heartbreaking to me because yeah, look at what did. He was a master. We'll never see that again. We'll never see that perfection. We'll never see that devotion. We'll never see that. Love on a global scale, Mr. Anderson. Um, can you tell me how uh, MJ re- was with uh, when he was with his children? Did you that? Oh yeah, it was awesome. Um, the love was just amazing. Uh, obviously, uh, he would always try to protect his children. Uh, yes, those children were uh, amazing in terms of their intelligence. I saw Prince read books and. Uh, I mean, big books. It, it was amazing. They, they were, uh, it was just like a, a regular family, you know, just like he would care for his children. I'd wake up in the morning and uh, Mike would be on a treadmill and Prince uh, and Barrett would be doing sit-ups in the uh, gym right next alongside of him, you know, and uh, they had their same things. Uh, we would get in the car and everybody wanted to sit in Daddy's lap. There was always a fight. Who was going to sit in Daddy's lap? Whether it was going to be Blanket or, or uh, Paris or, or uh, Friend, you know. And uh, it was a typical, regular family stuff. And that's the part that, you know, people didn't really realize. This man was a human being, man. This man loved his children. He loved his fans. He loved his family. And he loved mankind, you know. Uh, I think still today is one of the biggest philanthropists in terms of celebrities doing humanitarian things for, for people, you know, but Michael was an amazing guy, man, uh, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, I work for the guy, uh, and, and Michael was not perfect, I'm not perfect, and, and nobody listening or, or nobody on this broadcast is perfect, you know, but he was an amazing father, you know, to those Yeah, that's what we heard. It's everybody, you know, whoever it was had to admit that he was the greatest father that they've ever seen. From oh, my God. Uh, yeah, everybody. 
Yeah, he disciplined those children, and I mean, it, it was it was amazing the relationship that he had with them. We never left those children. Never. Those children always went with us, and uh, and if they weren't, they were real close by to where you know it was going to be an outing kind of thing. We had to get back to them, but uh, he he loved them dearly, just like I love my children and or my my child and my grandchild. You know. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. I'm okay, tripping on the fact, Dana. Terry. Thank you, thank you for sharing, Terry. But just the fact, uh, I have this visual in my mind now of Michael Jackson on a treadmill. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. We would have never known that, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Jackson on a treadmill in the morning. God bless him. <laughs> okay, yeah, Dana, what, yeah, let's go over the... Uh, thank you very much for doing what you did. Let's go over the DVD. Uh, how long is that? It's about an hour, right? Yeah, it's a little under an hour. It's um, a little under 60 minutes. Okay. And uh, you have your uh, Facebook page and Twitter. You want to give it out? Um, you can. I have my Facebook page, The Trials of Michael Jackson, and my Twitter account is Trials of MJ, all one word, lowercase. And you can purchase The Trials of Michael Jackson on Amazon.com. Okay. I want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, Carrie, I want to thank you also a million for coming on. And, um, yes. God bless you, Carrie. God bless you, Carrie. I am so thankful that you came and you shared with us. And it means so much to me and I know to the listeners and anybody that was yes. there that remembers you. So thank you so much once again, Carrie, for sharing. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, my friend, always. Oh, yeah, Dana, Barry. <laughs> and thanks for having us, King Jordan. Thanks for having us, King Jordan. Oh, we'll do thank this again so much, in a couple George. months. We'll definitely do this again in a couple months. So uh, take care, everybody. I'm going to leave you with the Lady of My Life remix. And uh, uh, those that uh, can follow Kick Jordan Radio tomorrow, uh, we'll, we'll talk to Amanda Knox at 9 o'clock Eastern. Take care, everybody. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, what's going on, man? I'm going to be a little bit pissed because um, yeah. I'm not out on it tonight. No, I've got... Uh,
snatch her up till that empty space She can make your life complete All you got to do is walk away and pass me by Don't acknowledge my smile When I try to say hello Thank you. 